Let me read the scripture this morning. This comes from Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on, on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Pray with me. Now we thank you for your word, that it is truth, that there is nothing in that that you didn't give us as a gift. Um, God, thank you that as we um, reflect on your word this morning, that there is a truth that you have for us because your Holy Spirit is moving and is present. God, thank you. we thank you for Ryan and his gift of preaching and pray over him that um, the words that come out of him today would be the words that your spirit is leading. God, and pray that we would be faithful listeners, that we would hear what you have for us today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We've been in a series that we've been calling Made Alive. And it's come straight from the scriptures. It's come from, you know, Ephesians chapter 2, where, where the scriptures say that Though we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, God made us alive. So death to life. God doing the work. So, so what's that look like? What's going on under the surface? What's happening in our hearts? And the reason why we want to talk about this is because we want to empower and give assurance to the believer that you didn't make yourself alive. God made you alive through faith and he gave you the gift of faith, but also empower you for the mission that God has for you, to be an ambassador, to, to help reconcile the world back to God. That's your mission in life. And if we don't know who does what in salvation, how can we be effective ambassadors? So this is where we're, we're going today. Uh, if you want to throw the chart up there uh, about kind of where we've been in this order of salvation. The first week, we, we, we looked at this idea of God loving us before the foundation uh, of the world, and, and, then, and then we kind of looked, the second week we looked at this idea of conversion and, and regeneration, um, and last week we looked at this idea of uh, ad adoption and justification, 
God making us legally right with Himself and morally right with Himself, but then also restoring our relationship to Him as His children. Jesus has come to do all of this for us on our behalf. This is what is happening in salvation. Now today, we're going to be looking at the one that we're most familiar with. This idea of sanctification and, and perseverance. And uh, I, want to, I want to share with you the big idea of where we're going today and then we'll get into it. The big idea is this. The Holy Spirit carries us to completion by putting sin to death and awakening new life within us. The Holy Spirit carries us to completion by putting sin to death and awakening new life within us. There's a, there's a sin and death component and there's a new life component that God is working into us. So, so let's dig right in together today. That The big picture of sanctification, this is where we're going today. If you've got a Bible, you can flip open to Colossians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4 for this point and you can go ahead and get, get your Bible kind of prepared for that. I want to I define sanctification for us real quick because I think it'll be, it'll be helpful. It's a, it's a big Bible word that, that means this. It's the work of God's Spirit where He continues to make us like Jesus as we live in God's family on the pathway to eternity by killing sin and bringing His Spirit to life in us. So so let's think about that for a second. God is working in us by making us alive, but He is also continuing to make us alive. And, And how He's making us alive is He is making our lives look more like Jesus. So one of, the, one of the object lessons that the Scriptures give is it's like a, a potter on a wheel that's being shaped and formed. And God is doing this work uh, in you and I to make us look more like Jesus. Now, there's this constant tension that Christians uh, always face, and it's this. On the one hand, we, we, we have to let the Spirit conform us to the image of Jesus. Then, then on the other hand, We've got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? I mean, how do those two work together? It's a mystery, right? Because on one hand, God is doing all the work. On the other hand, He's asking us to participate and cooperate with the Holy Spirit as we're being moved along. So we're in good standing with God because He's justified us, He's called us, He's regenerated us, He's adopted us. We're in good standing with God, but He is still carrying us to completion. And this is why today you would say, man, why, you're, you're like my son Roman. We're driving down the road uh, this past week. We've got a load of mulch in the back of our truck. And we're driving down the road, and, and uh, he's like, Daddy. I'm like, I'm like, what? He's like, Daddy, I don't want to sin anymore. He's four. I'm like, what? Like, what's going through his mind? But don't we all declare that? I don't want to sin anymore. I want to be more, I want to be more like God. I want to be more like Jesus. And then the next morning we wake up. And we say the same thing, right? I don't want to sin anymore. Why do I keep sinning? Paul struggled with it too in, in Romans chapter 6 and 7. I don't want to sin anymore. So I want to give you two pictures from my, my life that kind of help to describe this tension of sanctification. The first one is this. Um, so uh, a couple of our kids were playing baseball uh, a few years ago. And um, this one particular kid, it was, it was like the, the coach pitch, right? Baseball. And then... You know, if they couldn't get it in like three tries, they would pull out the tee and then, you know, let you hit it. And, uh, and so this, this particular kid uh, was up to bat. You know, the bat's super heavy and the helmet's huge. And, and then, I, you know, I'm the coach, and so I'm throwing the ball to him. And, and he, 
he hits it, and he hits it, you know, well into the infield, which is like a miracle at this stage in the game. And uh, he, he, he hits it, and, um, and there was just this issue, though. He didn't want to run. And so I did what any good coach slash dad would do, is I went and grabbed him, and I drug him to first base. And then I was just like, hey, all right, buddy, like, you got to, you got to run now, okay? You're at first base. I've got you here. There was this emotional thing kind of going on. And then, and then sure enough, the next batter comes up, and I'm pitching. And then, you know, at this stage, you've got a parent, like, at each base and, like, probably in between, too. I mean, there's just parents everywhere on the field. And the next kid hits it, and sure enough, this particular kid did not want to run from first base to second base. And so the, 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 the base parent did what they saw me do, and they dragged him to second base. And sure enough... You know, one after one, he is drugged all the way around the bases until he gets home. I kid you not. And I share this story with you because that's kind of what it's like to grow in Christ sometimes. Sure, you put the ball in play, you obey for a second, but the rest of the time he is dragging you around the bases of life to, for you to have progress in the gospel. That's what it feels like sometimes. Now, the, the second kind of part of that tension of sanctification is this, I a couple weeks ago, I went rock climbing. And, uh, you know, we had this honor of having some friends take us out to climb real rocks for the first time. We'd been in the gym and, and worked around on that. And, and uh, you know, Megan's way better than me at rock climbing, but I, I'm okay. And so we, we, we're on the, the real rock. And then, uh, you know, Eli is belaying us at the bottom. We've got this, we've got this harness in. We're belayed in. And, you know, it's kind of anchored at the top. And, and, you know, it's a safety precaution. And, you uh, and for the first probably 15 or 20 feet, you're like, man, I don't need this harness. Let's just take this thing off and climb it, right? And so you start climbing, and then all of a sudden, we, we each three got up to this one place where, like, you realize, oh, no, like, let me down. Let me, you know, like, let me. And so you jam your leg into the hole, and, you know, you're bleeding all over the place, and you're like, okay, Eli, like, I'm getting ready to go for it, so make sure you got me this time. And, and, you, and you, you reach for it, and all of us ended up getting it. But the reality is, is that even if we would have fallen, he would have held us, we would have came back to the rock, and we would have tried it again. That's the other side of sanctification, is sometimes you feel like, man, I don't even need this rope. I don't even need the empowerment of this harness. I can just do it by myself. Because we work on our salvation with fear and trembling by God's power, sometimes God is pulling us along and pushing us, and other times it feels like we're just kind of freehanding on the rock. That's the tension, church, that we have to manage in sanctification. The thing you have to know is that you're never going to be finished until Jesus returns or you go to be with Him. And that He's called you to keep on pursuing Him. And so there's going to always be this tension like that. Now there are two extremes that we've got to avoid as we think about this idea of sanctification working out our salvation of fear and trembling. Uh, the first one is this. Excessive frustration with with progress. What do I mean by that? We all want to progress in the Christian journey. I haven't met one Christian that says, yeah, I don't really want to grow, whatever. But if you have an excessive frustration with how well or not you're knocking it out of the park with Jesus, um, it leads you to kind of some bad places, okay? So God has saved you, He will save you, and He is saving you. Sanctification is, is, like, is like this, you get, you get disappointed sometimes at the progress that you're having, right? You think, 
you think, man, I wish I was just a little further along. Or you see someone that like, man, they had their devotion like seven days in a row, and you know because they put it on Facebook and you kind of saw it, and you're like, man, I wish I could just get to like, you know, maybe like six would be awesome. And you kind of beat yourself up. You're like, man, I can't even, I can't even have a quiet time. How can I follow Jesus? And, and God is not disappointed in where you're at because he's sovereign over your progress. See, I think sometimes we forget that God sees us through the lens of being justified and adopted, right? Now, the Holy Spirit is still fleshing that out in us as we walk with him. But he's not frustrated with us. He's not mad at us. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, in other words, those who have been called, regenerated, converted, justified, adopted, for those who love God, God's God's love is on them, His Spirit is in them. For those who love God, listen to this, all things, let me say it again, all things, what's excluded from all things? Nothing, right? All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God is working 100% goodness toward your life if you follow Jesus. Now, sometimes it doesn't seem good. Am I right? It doesn't seem good. But you don't get to choose what's good and what's not good because you're not the one that's molding the clay. All things, you have a promise, you can take this to the bank. All things are working for your good. All things. God is using everything in your life to make you more like Jesus. You have a promise, you can take it to the bank. Now the second ditch that we've got to avoid here is this. Failure to see God's Spirit empowering your progress. So now, you're a Christian, now you've got to get after it, Right? you got to really make yourself look like Jesus. And then when you start to realize that you really can't do it and you have bad days and you don't want to read your Bible and you just want to run away from everybody, like you can't jump in the other ditch of seeing like, oh, like it's all up to me. There's no way I can follow Jesus. Or it's all up to me. Look at how well I'm doing today. You, you can't get into that ditch because when you do, you ignore the power of God in your life. And when you're doing well, where's God to be found? Where's His Spirit empowering me? And then when you're doing bad, you're all beat up, you're beating up on yourself because you don't see God's Spirit empowering the work of sanctification. Philippians 1.6 is probably one of our church's favorite verses that probably makes it into a sermon twice a month because it's so rich and because we struggle so hard, right? Philippians 1.6 says this, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work That's Jesus. He who began a good work in you, he who saved you, he who redeemed you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to finish the work that he started in you. Now, you're not going to feel like he's going to finish the work. When you're on the side of that rock and you're like, hey man, you got me, it doesn't feel like you're going to make it to the top. You know why? Because you're depending on yourself. This is also why the Scriptures don't often tell us to think about tomorrow. In fact, we preached a whole sermon a couple years ago called Tomorrow is the Devil's Day. Right? Because the Scriptures don't tell us to think about tomorrow. They tell us to think about God's grace in the moment because tomorrow will have worries for itself. 
Where we get in trouble with sanctification is when we start projecting out. Oh, if I'm doing this today, there's no way I'm going to do this today. Tomorrow or whatever. You know, we start projecting out our progress and we just, it just overwhelms us. The same grace, church, that saves you, changes you. The same grace that rescued you will keep on rescuing you. The same grace that started you will finish you. This is what sanctification is all about. All right, I'm preaching now. We're not even in our text yet. Open your Bible to Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4. Verse 1 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Did you hear that? You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're hidden. So, so how, how do I know? Somebody asked me this question last week. How do I know that God sees me 100% righteous if I'm following Jesus? Because you're hidden in Christ. All He sees is Jesus when He sees you. You're not hiding behind fig leaves anymore. You're hidden in Christ. That's what God the Father sees because of the work of Jesus. And when He appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. He will finish you. Now, there's this, what you see in this Scripture here is that you kind of see what we've talked about already. There's this kind of past tense salvation that we'll call the already. Things that have already taken effect in the believer's life. If you believe in Jesus, if you believe in the resurrection, the Scriptures say, then you have been resurrected. If you've been raised with Christ, it's, it's suggesting that it's possible to be raised with Christ by faith in Christ. So you're already lifted high. You're already raised because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And He's pleading our case with, with our Father in Heaven. We can live resurrected lives now. But you and I know that not everything about us is resurrected, right? So there's this already sense that you've been saved, called, justified, adopted. And you should seek the life that follows the resurrection. You see, you've got, to, you've got to set your mind on the things of heaven because the currency of earth does not calculate in heaven. You've got to set your mind, you've got to elevate your, your, your worldview and your mindset to see the things of heaven. And what you begin to see happen in your life when you begin to do this is that the things of earth that used to devastate your life no longer devastate you because your gaze is so long now. That, that the little steps that seem like you're going backwards are really working for your good even though they don't seem like it. So there's this past tense sense of our salvation, the already. Then there's this other not yet sense of our salvation. It's this future tense. He says this uh, in verse 4 here. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, he's talking about the second coming of Jesus. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. God is putting glory on our lives now because we will once and for all eventually be glorified, meaning we will have new bodies, our spirits will be fully redeemed. There'll be no sickness, there'll be no tears, there'll be no brokenness. Patrick's going to preach on that next week, this idea of being glorified. But that's not where we're at yet either, is it? Where are we at now? We're living in the tension. Theologians would call it this, an inaugurated eschatology. That's a big word, right? What's inaugurated eschatology? I mean, well, eschatology is this big $10 word that they teach in seminary to help pay for the, 
the price of your tuition. And eschatology means end times, the, the study of the end times. So there is, in inaugurate, it means the beginning, right? So if you put it together, it's the beginning of the end. Church, if you're a Christian, the beginning of the end of time has already started. God is already doing the work of redemption in you. He's already began it. His kingdom is already here and it's coming. We have very present realities about our future redemption. Even though we're in between the already and the not yet. But by the power of God, here's what happens in our lives. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our redemption. There's a peace that we play in the midst of it. So it's not about just passively saying, hey, God, make me more like Jesus. That's a part of it. God, do your work in me, but also empower my, my mind and my actions and my behaviors to look more like Jesus. You know, by God's grace, what believers find is even though they're not where they want to be, they're not where they used to be, right? That's the gospel. You're not what you want to be. You're not fully like Jesus yet, but you're not what you used to be where you didn't even consider him. And that's the work of sanctification in our hearts. Now, how do we work this out? How do we work out this tension, the already and the not yet, and living in between the times? Well, the Scriptures call us to two things. The first part is this, death to sin. The second part is this, life in the Spirit. So let's go to our second point. If you've got a Bible, open up to Colossians chapter 3, verses 5-11. through 11. Second thing that we do in this work of sanctification is we have to take off the old man. We've got to put sin in the grave. Now, the way that Paul talks about sanctification in Colossians 3 is he, he, he talks about it like changing clothes, something that hopefully most of us do every day. And uh, he says it's, it's as simple as taking off the old self and putting on the new self. Like take off the grave clothes, the dead man's clothes, and put on the new clothes. And, and he uses this metaphor to describe what it's like to put on the new nature of Christ. So he says this in Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. That was, that was you. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscure talk from your mouth. He gets pretty specific, doesn't he? Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's neither Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Did you hear what 3.5 says? Colossians 3.5. It says this. Put to death. Sometimes we feel absolutely powerless over our sinful habits, don't we? What do you mean put to death? According to Colossians 3, when the Holy Spirit comes upon our lives, we actually have power to put things to death. To put things to death in our lives that are not of God. To take off the old self and to put on the new self. Because the Holy Spirit is in us, we're no longer powerless. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we can be slaves to righteousness. We can do what's right. You know, things like immorality, like unrighteous anger, 
like obscure language. Now, let's not just read through these and say, okay, yeah, the junk drawer term for a bunch of sin. Think about you specifically. What do you like? Oh, yeah, let me underline that in my Bible. I mean, serious, these are things that the Holy Spirit empowers you to be able to take off in your life, to put aside in your life. Lying, obscene language, wrath, malicious intent, slander. A lot of them have to do with how we talk and think, don't they? I find that interesting because that's where, that's where the sins that come to bear upon our hands and our actions all start. They start in our heart and in our heads and in our minds. So what's it look like for you to repent of the things that you're getting ready to do because of what's going on in your heart and in your mind? Jesus is interested in those things. The masterpiece that God is after in your life is more of Christ revealed in you. I just I think about this old John Owen quote. John Owen was this Puritan pastor, and he said, This is profound, you'll never forget it. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Pretty good, right? Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. It's true. Now God has us and He gives us power to kill sin in our hearts and in our lives. And we have power to put them away. I want to read you a quote from uh, a guy named Tim Chester. It's from this book called You Can Change. I don't like the title because it's a little incomplete because we can't change without God, but you'll get the purpose here. It's a great book. He says this, To tell someone to stop sinning, um, at best they may, they may do so reluctantly and partially. What's he mean by that? Okay, I, I tell my kids, hey, stop doing that. Well, they're going to stop doing it just enough for me to stop yelling at them, Right? <laughs> Because they're just trying to modify their behavior. Now sometimes that's what we try to do when we put off the old self is we'll take off just enough to keep other people from talking to us and, and seeing us as sinful. Now this is impartial repentance. Our hearts are still not changed, just our behaviors and our actions, right? He says, but give them a vision of knowing God and His glory. Give them a vision of knowing God and His glory and they'll gladly root out all that gets in the way of their relationship with God. This is what God gives us in Colossians 3. He gives us a vision of the fact that we'll be finished one day. He says, oh, by the way, here's some things you probably need to take off and some things you need to put on. But it's not a to-do list. It's not a to-do list. It's more about giving us a vision of who God is and what He's come to do inside of us. What He's come to give us. He's come to give us new life and we're only cheating ourselves when we don't grab hold of it. He says, he goes on to say this, but we can never change enough to impress God. Trying to impress God, others or ourselves, puts us at the center of our change project. It makes change all about me looking good. It's done for my glory, and that's what pretty much the definition of sin is. Sin is living for my glory instead of God's. Who's at the center of your change project, sir? church? Who is it? Is it you just enough to get your spouse to stop saying the things that they've noticed about your sinful life? Kids, is it, is it, your, is it just your parents 
so that they'll give you the rewards and, and benefits of being children and the family and going on trips and doing special things? Or is it that you really, really love God? That you, you really, really want to please Him because He saved you? It changes everything about how you begin to live this, this sanctified life. Church, can we, can we give one another so much more than see, look, I'm a better sinner than you? Can, can we do better than that? Can we, can we stop the contest of you know, minimizing sin as much as we can? And can we, just, can we just change the whole thing out and take Jesus instead and just see what He does with our lives? What would that look like? In, in, the, in the Christian accountability that you have, what would it look like to put Jesus at the center instead of sin management at the center? What would it look like in your prayer life to put Jesus and His grace at the center? Instead of any other kind of sin management program. Listen, it is incredibly painful to let God change you and to walk that road because there's a lot of times you're going to see things in your life that you wish you'd never seen. There's a lot of times you're going to see things in your kids that you wish you'd never seen and you'd heard. But here's the deal. When Jesus comes to save us, He already knows all that about us. And His, His Spirit has already begun the work of redemption in us. So let's quit kidding ourselves and be honest. And you know what would happen if we began to do that? There would be such a culture of grace at New City Church in Lawrenceville that sinners would come in droves to drink of the living water. What that look like for us? That would be a beautiful picture of life. He gives another picture of what kind of that culture of grace is. And, and uh, in, in verse 11, he says, hey, here there's, there's not Greek and Jew. There's not these two different cultures. There's not circumcised and, and, and uncircumcised. There's not barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all in all. He says, listen, there's only two races. Redeemed and unredeemed. Now do all of these different types of people, do they have distinctives that mirror the image of God in their lives? Absolutely. And they're to be considered. But the thing that matters is, are you redeemed or are you unredeemed? And, and, and culturally speaking, you know, am, am, I, am I willing to give up my cultural preferences for the sake of my neighbor? Think, I've been really convicted this week about this. Do you love your culture, your way of living, more than you do your neighbor? Do I love... my culture more than I do my neighbor? Do I love my lifestyle, my language, my flag, my cultural heritage, my family history more than I do my neighbor? He says all of them pale into, into comparison. They all fall short compared to knowing Jesus and being made whole by Him. It's the vision He gives us to take off the old self. It's not worth it. Nothing about the old self is worth what Jesus promises us in the new self. Lastly, let's talk about putting on the new man. Now, I'm, I'm, I could spend a lot more time going into each of these, but kind of hitting a high level here. Putting on the new man means making room for our life in the Spirit. Making room for our life in the Spirit. Thomas Chalmers 
said this in a sermon he preached. The title's amazing. He says, it's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. How's that for a title, right? I mean, just, just walk out. That's it. It's good to go. In the expulsive power of a new affection, say it ten times, it's fun. He says this, Seldom do any of our habits or flaws disappear by a process of extinction through reasoning. <laughs> so what he's saying is, like, hey, it's not going to last if you're just trying to cut things out of your life to look better. It, it, your life is not really going to change if you're just managing sin. You're just putting filters on everything in your life, trying to, trying to kind of box yourself in to look better. You're not going to change. He says, what cannot be destroyed must be dispossessed. The one way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Church, to put on the new man is to fill the emptiness in your life that used to be filled with the old self with the new self in Jesus. Jesus didn't just come to save your soul and your heart in your Sunday mornings, church. He came to save everything about you. Everything about our culture. To redeem all things to himself, as Colossians says. He came to save it all. But we box it in and we say, okay, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you that, but not this and not that. And we don't say it, we don't say, we don't express that, but by the way that we live, that's what, that's the story that we're telling. Jesus came to dispossess the idols in your heart and to give you such a better object of your affection. Your willpower and your reasoning are not enough. They won't get you there. They won't finish the race. They won't finish you. The only way that you and I will change is that the love of God grows in our hearts to such a degree that it dispossesses it expunges, it expulses everything else that doesn't fit the mold. And what we, what we typically do is we, we try to, to push him in in the holes that we've got in our life. Oh, that didn't really work, so let me get, I tried a lot, try to make a lot of money, that didn't really fill me up, so let me, let me just kind of put him in over here, let me just kind of do this. And, and what Jesus is saying, and he says this in, in Ephesians chapter 2, the scriptures say that God came to create one new man. In the place of two. There's, there's, not, there's not circumcised and uncircumcised. There's none of these distinctions that we try to find our identity in. He came to create one new man. And how does he create one new man? He gives us a better affection. He gives us a better object of our affection, the perfect and risen Lord Jesus Christ, and his sin his spirit to come and mold us into the likeness and image of Jesus. And he's working tirelessly to that end in your life and mine. That's what sanctification is. Here's what he says in Colossians 3, 12-17. Put on men as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved. Don't skip over that too quickly. What's he saying? Like Because you're already holy, like you can't get any more holy in my sight than you are right now. Now you have power to be holy. Because you're already loved before the foundation of the earth, before you could do anything for me. Now love. He says to put on love, right? Because you're loved. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. 
Some of us can probably just stop right there this morning. You've got to complain about somebody and it's come out through your gossip and your obscene talk and the way that you think about someone. And, and for you this morning, what this means is you, you have the freedom to go right now and be made whole with that person. He says, forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you so that you must also forgive. And above all, put on love. Why? Because you're loved. Like because you're loved, nothing else should be able to flow from your life. And love binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's like Sherry prayed for us earlier. To which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Think about that word admonishing. We don't, to admonish means to kind of rebuke someone, to come, to come and help them refute the lies that they're believing, to confront someone. We, we don't like to confront one another. Well, I, let me take that back. We don't like to confront one another in person. We love to confront one another online or behind a screen, right? We love to do that. It's easy. It's a cheap way out. Because when you confront one another in love together, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit does something beautiful. He makes you both more like Jesus. I've never had a time when I've had to confront someone or someone has confronted me in love that I haven't been changed and walk away loving that person more and them loving me more. You can tell me if that's happened and you don't agree. but uh, <laughs> I've never walked away and done that. To admonish one another in love. To, to help one another uproot the lies that we're believing. And so many times what we'll do is we'll just say, oh, okay, sorry. Sorry you're going through a rough patch. Instead of saying, like, you're a beloved son of God. And, and the way that you're acting, the way that you're living is if you're not a beloved son of God. Now, I, I, because I love you, I can't let you go on talking that way without telling you this at least. But we're afraid to do that. Since it's healthy to admonish one another in the gospel. To let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So not only does he, the Holy Spirit give us power to, to take things out of our life, but rather to also put things back into our life, to, to put on the clean clothes. The drawer, In other words, the drawer is full of clean clothes to be put on church. The drawer is full of righteousness for you to wear. The question is, will you put them on and take off the old dirty rags? Because that's the power the Holy Spirit gives us. You kind of see a, a theme here. There's this kind of B component of, hey, here's who you are. You're holy and beloved. This is, you can't change this. This is who you are. You can't lose this. And then there's this have component. Because of, because of who you are, here's what you have. You have this drawer full of, of clothes of compassion and kindness and humility because the war is over. You don't have to keep fighting for something that's already yours. You don't have to be right because you've already been made right. You don't have to withhold forgiveness because you've already been forgiven. The drawer is full. Put on the clothes. And then there's this do component. Whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. 
And if you can look at your life and, and say, hey, whatever I do today, I'm going to do in the name of Jesus, you're going to be wearing those clothes, I can tell you that. Um, so what's this going to take to land a plane here? What's this going to take for us to do this? Church, this is going to require tremendous humility on our part. We have to lay down our own glory, our own pride, our own way, and acknowledge the fact that we can't do this without the Holy Spirit. And acknowledge the fact that none of us are better than anyone else. You know, one of my friends, um, one of my best friends, a church planner here uh, in Atlanta named Daryl, shared with me this week. He's like, hey man, here's how we define humility. You're going to remember this. It's to say, I wouldn't put it past me to do the same thing. So whatever it is that you're cynical about, whatever sinful action you've seen in someone else, because that's where we really see where our heart really is when we see someone else sin and how we respond to it. To say, to look at that person and to be able to say, man, I wouldn't put it past me to do the same thing. I could see myself in their shoes. What's that do? What's that do in you whenever you look at someone, you look at a situation and and you're able to say, wouldn't put it past me, I could see myself doing the same thing. Doesn't it change your posture? Doesn't it change the way that grace flows through you instead of saying, I can't believe they did that, goodness. And on the inside, you're falling apart, but no one knows it. Because you put yourself together just enough to be able to say, I wouldn't put it past me. Church, if that's the culture that New City Church would embody, sinners are going to want to come to Jesus. And God's going to be pleased to use you. Can we be this type of people? Could that be us? Remind you of the big idea and we'll pray. The Holy Spirit carries us to completion by putting sin to death and awakening new life in us. Let's pray. Father, uh, we come to You today and, uh, and we say that we struggle under Your hand. We struggle to believe that You are working good in us. We struggle to believe that Your Spirit is always with us. We struggle to believe that Your plan is good. And we struggle to think that You're good sometimes, if we're honest. Father, may... May our eyes not deceive us this morning as we think about our lives and our situations. God, would you take away the blinders in the sense that we think that we should be further along than we, sh- than we are? That we think that we're better than others because we're not? And would you show us who we are in you? Would you give us a vision of the glory of God embodying our lives. It would enable us to be tremendously gracious among sinners like Jesus was. And to be tremendously confident as we think about the love with which You have loved us and sent in Jesus. God, meet us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.